seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Back at the studio again and ready for a busy holiday season. Hi, Leanne. How are you? Hi, Ira. I am great. Leanne and I, we haven't recorded a show in a couple of weeks. Leanne and I were away at a conference together up in Amelia Island. It was, a, it was a great time. It was a nice conference, wasn't it? It was a really nice conference. I had just come off of a long family vacation, and I, I was thinking I was headed into like this intense CME event, but the intense CME event was being held at the Amelia Island Ritz Carlton. So, so like it was, it was really slumming it. I mean, I had like an oceanfront view and breakfast in bed, and I tried to leave those details out, telling my husband how <laughs> terrible this CME conference was. Oh. Yeah, the lectures were were good. We told everybody they were brutal. Yeah, so they were brutal. They were brutal. It was a great conference. We have it there every year. It, it was so fun. I have a very special guest tonight on the show. Tell us about her. Our guest, I met her several years ago here in town, and I, I happened to be invited to a breakfast for the Inner Truth Project. At the time, I had no idea what the Inner Truth Project was, but I knew that Rabbi Matthew Durbin, who introduced me to this radio station, WSTU, right here, 1450, okay? Rabbi Durbin gave the invocation at that breakfast. And it was an incredible invocation, it was an incredible breakfast. I learned so much about the Inner Truth Project that I became a supporter of the Inner Truth Project. And we are so lucky today to have the founder of the Inner Truth Project right here with us, Mindy Fetterman. Good. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. And it's been quite the interesting month. And I know you're busy. And thank you so much, Mindy, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here and inform our listeners about the Inner Truth Project. So what is the purpose of the Inner Truth Project? Well, before I tell you about the Inner Truth Project, I just want to say thank you for having me on the radio to both of you. And I'm actually uh, glad that you just shared that story about the breakfast because I didn't realize that that was why you got um, behind us and started supporting us. I thought it was just because you liked uh, my other half, which is uh, why I sometimes am able to get people interested. So I'm glad to know it was just on my uh, own merits and our board member, the rabbi was a, a board member at the time. So the Inner Truth Project is a nonprofit that serves the entire Treasure Coast and we work specifically with survivors of sexual trauma. So what that means is that we work with anybody who's been raped, sexually abused, has experienced any type of sex trafficking, incest, really anything that's under the umbrella of sexual violence. And Immediately when I say that, I think most people can envision probably a woman. But the reality is that one in six men is a survivor of some type of sexual violence before the age of 18. So a lot of the people that we work with are men as well. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that we work with are young. So we have survivors that are as young as age nine because we have a teen and a preteen program as well. So uh, what we do is we offer individual therapy. We do group support, group therapy. We do writing workshops. We do art therapy, equine therapy, which is uh, therapy with horses, which is pretty cool. I can tell you about that in a little bit. Uh, we do trauma-sensitive yoga, which is very important to have uh, somatic types of therapy. A lot of the um, mental health agencies in the community take the bottom-down approach, uh, working with um you know, CBT or, um, uh, you know, the cognitive behavioral therapy and different uh, different types of therapy in that same vein. While that is so important, if we're not working on our body where the trauma actually happened, which, you know, as doctors is connected to why so many people have um, gastro, um, gastro, 
Enterological. Gastroenterological. Yes, I, I can never say that word. They have issues um, in their gut. They have issues with um, their um, their nervous system. You know, so many things connected to their physical being. So if we can't actually help people who've experienced sexual trauma get back into their body and reconnect with themselves in that way, they're not going to be open to the other types of therapy. So that's a little bit of what we do. Well, we're going to get into some of this in just a moment. And we often say on the show, uh, when we talk to different guests who work with organizations that you can't do it alone, that it literally takes a village to put all this stuff together. So you started this from scratch. How, how did you go about doing that? I did start it from scratch, and uh, today it very much does involve the entire community. So uh, it's, it's great that you pointed that out. But I started the Inner Truth Project because myself, um, as a survivor, uh, I was molested when I was uh, very young and then um, drugged and gang raped when I was 16, raped again when I was 23. And having experienced so much trauma at an early age, it was really hard to find the appropriate type of care to uh, really feel like I was supported and that I was worth getting the help that I, I, des I deserved. Um, so it really wasn't until I was an adult that I started to heal. And when I started to get the support that was appropriate for the type of trauma that I experienced, I wanted to make sure that other people were getting that same type of support because I was hearing the story that I lived back at me all the time. So making lemonade from limits. Literally. Literally. How do you, first of all, survive an encounter like that and then go on to want to help other people? What drives you? Well, the first part of your question, how do you survive an encounter like that? Um, you know, unfortunately, in um, my world, when we're working in the criminal justice system or in the medical field, uh, you know, we're referred to as victims. I don't think that we're victims. I think we've all survived. So in order to get through an experience like that, a lot of us uh, disassociate. A lot of us um, just succumb to the, the violence that we're dealing with. I don't know that it's really by choice that we've survived it, but we have. And having gone through a lifetime of these experiences and then going down this hole of drugs and alcohol and depression, um, suicide attempts, uh, I was fortunate enough to come out through the other side and have a support system who's now my husband and his family and realize that I was worth saving. And so I don't know that I had the resiliency naturally. I don't know that I felt like I had the fight in me naturally, but I was so fortunate to find people around me who believed in me. And once I had that gratitude for where I was today, it was only natural to give it back to other people. And, um, you know, I'm less familiar with your organization, but from your website, it seems like you are conveying the message that you want to empower the people. I mean, you talk about making sure that survivors know that this is something that was done to them, that they didn't deserve it, and basically trying to empower people to speak their truth, and you believe that's a big part of the healing? Absolutely. So really what we're doing is, is helping people uh, flip the script, so to speak, on their life, because a lot of people become so used to playing the role of the victim because that's all that they know. But once we help people realize that they don't have to be the victim, that there is a way to live beyond the trauma and then it doesn't have to identify them, they can become truly victorious in their own life. So whether they choose to use the word victim, survivor, or whatever it is, it's just changing how they approach their everyday so that they don't have to actually feel like everything happens to them because they deserve it in a bad way. And it, it, that's really taking back your power and, and living in a more purposeful way. And there's nothing more beautiful than finding someone who's no longer ashamed to share what's happened to them because they realize it's not their fault and that they are now in charge of everything moving forward so that they can take ownership of their life and feel proud of the decisions they're making moving forward without having to be ashamed about the past. Yeah, I noticed you use that word shame a lot uh, in the website as well. And I think, you know, is that what you, in addition to helping these individuals, is that what you're trying to do is kind of change the public perception of sexual trauma and to 
help uh, eliminate that shame factor for the people that experience it and, you know, make it make people more able to tell their story? A hundred percent. That shame. A hundred percent. So, you know, even just coming on this show and saying the words rape and sexual abuse, molestation, incest, there may be people that turned off the radio. Because it's it's truly it's the most taboo thing that we can talk about. It is the underbelly of our society, but it is so incredibly common, and it's in every single neighborhood. It's on everybody's street, and it's it's not talked about because it brings so much shame. Because everyone feels that if they've experienced it, they somehow have done something wrong. So I am on this mission, so to speak, is to just talk about it as much as I possibly can because. When somebody is able to say, this happened to me too, and we come in all shapes and sizes and colors and from every corner of the community, then it's no longer our burden to, to carry. And then we can start to heal. And that's how we start to change the societal vision of what sexual violence is and how we can actually deal with it. And I know Ira has been talking about having you on our show for quite some time, but we're really excited that you're coming on in this month because it's January. That's sex trafficking awareness, I believe. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know because, yeah. and I and I think we're seeing. I mean, we definitely are using that term more publicly. And I know that I was watching the news the other day, and you know, even the local news is talking about preparations for Super Bowl because apparently right. Super Bowl is a big. Super Bowl is the, the, the largest trafficking weekend in um, the year. And uh, a lot of people don't realize how much money it actually brings in. And I'm not 100% um, sure when the month is. You're, I think you're right. Um, I know we celebrate April as Sexual Assault Awareness Month. However, um, I, I just feel it's important because so many people do talk about trafficking. Um, you know, it's an important issue. It's a major thing in our community, in every community across the, the country. But people can't overlook the fact that it's still under the umbrella of sexual violence. And with that, what I mean is don't look out into the community to kind of look at what the trafficking issue is. Look what's happening right in your couch, in your, in your living room. Look at your family members. Look at your close friends. Because you may not meet anybody who's been trafficked, but I dare say you know somebody or have somebody in your close circle that has experienced either rape or sexual abuse. So we can't pretend that that issue is, is, has been dealt with and is taken care of and then move on to the bigger picture of the sex trafficking or human trafficking because they go hand in hand, but we seem to not want to use those words. And just to let our listeners know and to remind them, it's much more common than you would think. One in four women have been sexually abused. One in six men have been sexually abused. And you think that abuse, oh, well, it's rape, it's a stranger. Very often, and more common, it's someone you know, it's someone you've dated, it may be someone you're married to. But if you do not give permission to share your body with someone, it is considered sexual abuse. And do I have those numbers right? One in four you women? Do. So everyone knows someone. You do. That's yeah. Uh, you know, and depending on where you get your statistics, they say one in three or one in four. I always say it's one too many. But what I want people to keep in mind is that those numbers are based on reported cases. And just like this is, you know, kind of out of the norm to be talking about, most people don't report. Uh, most of the people that I work with today are people who have never reported to authorities. So think about how that actually changes that number. So do you see, I mean, that must be a really exciting part of your job that maybe even people that are bringing a friend in feel comfortable to talk to you about something that's happened to them in their past. Do you feel like you are now sort of like a magnet for someone telling you the truth that they've never told anyone before? My my son calls me the rape lady. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm honored. I'm really honored that people trust me. They trust people that are um, connected with our center, our board members, our volunteers, because they know that when they come to us, we're, we're not going to shame them, we're not going to re-victimize them, and that we're going to get them the support and the help that they need. But it's also, it's not something that ever gets easier. And I wish that I didn't have a job. So if that makes sense, it's the story that I wish people didn't have to tell. It's the, it's the organization I, people, I wish people didn't have to be a part of. So can you 
you tell us a little bit about how you got started? In other words, I mean, in your particular issue, it was your personal story that you were. But I mean, I think this is a really inspiring guest because basically we're talking about anybody who has a passion and decides, you know, from a ground roots or whatever that word is. Uh, approach. From, from, uh, gra- grassroots. Grassroots. Ground level. There ground we go. level. She did it. Guys. All her. Do not have three children. <laughs> um, anyway, grassroots approach to addressing uh, what's happened to you and bringing help to others. How did it start? I mean, like, what was your first night that you said something's going to change and I'm going to be the one to change it? And this is how I'm going to do it. Okay. So the, the real, real truth is that my husband was a former state representative and I had been sharing my, my story um, in my small groups in my recovery community from drugs and alcohol. And I had become very passionate about sharing it because when I did share very honestly and very candidly, which I never really had a problem with, I always had people tell me, you just shared my story. So I knew that it was part of me, but um, I would much rather work in the mall and get a discount on shoes. So, uh, and uh, my husband was serving in office and there was legislation that came across his desk about um, survivor rights and changing the statute of limitations for survivors. And he said, Mindy, I really feel like if we can share part of your personal story, it will give um, some meat to the language of this bill and people will understand this isn't just a bill. This is this is real life. And he asked, do I have permission to share? And in a very naive way, I said, absolutely, because I wanted to support him. And I thought that the bill was important, but I didn't really understand what it meant for a state representative to share information. So he's a, an incredible writer. He wrote a, an email with part of my story and sent it out to his first his first set uh, in his email list, which was 5,000 people. I did not know that. And um, it was really a watershed moment because the emails that were coming back were, you just told my mother's story. You just told my wife's story. You just told my story. And then he stood on the floor in the Capitol and shared. And it was the same thing. And it was kind of like, wow, if a state representative's wife who, um, you know, goes to all of these ridiculous, you know, events and stupid dinners as the quote unquote politician's wife and wears the suits and has the pearls can stand up and say, I'm a drug addict. I'm a rape survivor. I was sexually abused, but it's okay. Then anybody can say it. And uh, fast forward, he was invited to be the keynote speaker at an event and he couldn't make it because he was in session. And he said, well, I really think that you should have my wife come. And they said, no, we really want somebody with name recognition in the community. And he said, no, I think you need to have my wife. And they went back and forth and he's pretty persuasive. So they invited me and I was supposed to be his proxy and give the state of the state or the state of the county really. And uh, what I did was get up and share my story. And it was the first time I did it locally. And it was the first time I did it in a room filled with uh, my peers and uh, community leaders. And in that uh, afternoon lunch, there was a line out the door of people coming to me that were saying, I never knew, but thank you for helping me realize that I can get help. And there was one woman that came up to me and she was 78 years old. She's a bus driver in St. Lucie County for the school system. And she said, I've been married for 50 something years. I have six grandkids. I was molested my whole childhood, raped twice, and I've never told a soul until right this minute telling you. And she was crying. And I thought, this is not okay. I can't be the one and only person you tell, and it can't be here in the middle of this luncheon. And that was the beginning of trying to do the research on where are the services? Where is the space? What do we do? And I thought, you know, I can go around and share my story, but it's ripping people's band-aids off if we're not actually going to have a what's next. And that was the beginning. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That is such a story. And you are so empowering. But I know you've got a team. And now you've coordinated a team of people over the last several years. Tell us about your team. My team is incredible. They're way, way smarter than me. So um, no, I'm, I, I'm not believing that yeah, for a second. It's really true. I could not do anything without them. And um, 
I, uh, I depend on them a lot. We, we do a lot of fundraising. We do a lot of outreach in the community. We do a lot of education, uh, putting together presentations for parents who want to know uh, how to prevent these types of things from happening in their home or how to, uh, more importantly, prevent, well, I don't know if it's more important, but to also prevent re-victimization because the statistics for people who have already been sexually violated to have a second or third reoccurrence is very, very high. So we do, as a team, we do a lot of outreach. And then we um, also have a program that I'm extremely proud of and the entire board works on it. It's called What's on Tap. And it's TAP stands for Train, Acknowledge, and Protect. And it's about drug-facilitated sexual assault because we uh, have an issue here, just like anywhere in the state, where uh, people are drugging drinks or getting people overly intoxicated and taking advantage of them. And I think people think this is only something that maybe will happen in Miami or in a college town, but it happens all the time. And it's something we were hearing stories from law enforcement. We were hearing stories from the ER. So we put together for about two years with a lot of research, a manual about what these drugs are, how they affect your body, and then how people can be effective bystanders. So our team goes out and we train bars and then we um, get other volunteers to um, take the training and then they go out and train. So um, it's a great way to get a free drink because when you do the training, usually the bars will, will feed you and, and give you beer. And it's a great way to just hopefully save one more person from being drugged. But uh, the team is remarkable. And, um, you know, we have survivors that call all day, every day. So this is certainly um, a passion. It is my my life passion, but I could not do it without the people that support us. Now you have social workers on your team, PhDs on your team, even yoga instructors. Yeah, do you have team. like a headquarters? Yeah. I mean, do you have a physical location? Right. So the center is uh, in St. Lucie West is our main location. And then we do have locations in every city, every county rather, in uh, Circuit 19. So we try to make it accessible for survivors all along the Treasure Coast. But our main hub is in St. Lucie West. And then we also have an online presence where we have a support group that's available 24-7. And we have people from even other countries that are on there. We have over 100 uh, survivors on there. We do have um, uh, mental health providers, but they're not on our staff. So they uh, come in and do different support groups or individual therapy, but we don't have the funds right now to have somebody on staff 24-7. So hopefully one of your listeners will say that they want to help us with that because we're always looking for support uh, funding-wise because we really have grown, especially after the Me Too movement. I mean, it's just you know off the, the, the chain how many people are calling. So instead of us having to piecemeal all of our services, we'd really love to have people on staff. And where do you get your funding? So our funding, thank you for asking, is um, primarily from two main sources, the United Way of St. Lucie County and the St. Lucie County Children's Services. And they cover our, our teen program, which, uh, again, is for nine all the way up to 19, and then also all of our parent program. And then the rest is private donations, family foundations, and then our fundraisers. And we're going to talk about fundraisers. If you've just joined us, we're talking with Mindy Fetterman, founder of the Inner Truth Project. Your mission is incredible. It's to offer therapeutic services to survivors of sexual trauma and education and prevention strategies. When we come back from our break, I'd like to talk about some of those prevention strategies and go through each of the programs that you offer. And let's try and educate our listeners further about the Inner Truth Project. We're going to be right back after a short commercial break. Awesome. Is this going? I, I want to, you know, we're kind of letting you guide us. At, yeah, no, it's I've great. Got, but but I, I mean, I should have warned you. I could talk for hours. We want you to. No, that's, so. that's fine. And the and it and makes our job and so the easy. Stories really help. Okay, good. Um, make it, so this is kind of what I want to touch on. Okay. Um. Okay. Perfect. Look good? Yeah. You know what? Instead of this one. Um, What's on tap? 
No, no, no. The power is mine. Oh, okay. um, maybe I can tell you more about our individual support groups because we have different groups for different populations. Okay, let's scratch that and go with individual support groups. Grassroots, <laughs> ground level. <laughs> hey, you asked me to bring on a good guest, right? Listen, I can't say gastro and enterology. Enterology. So I'm madly in GI love. distress. GI distress. Oh, that's so much easier. Uh, I love, love, love Dr. Kapler because. Isn't he great? I was on the phone with him for a while today. Yeah, but you probably didn't talk to him about stuff I talked to him about. I did. I did. I mean, I just, I went in for my appointment and I was just like 45 minutes later, his head was spinning because I had like a million questions about poop and, <laughs> and, and trauma. And like, then I just ended up sharing like everybody's story with him. And this one's got this problem. This one's got this problem. And, but he was so patient. He was so funny and so kind. And I was just like, this is, this is my favorite guy ever. Yeah. So the next segment, 24 with? minutes, 25 it's minutes. 25 is good. We do a 25. We 24, 24, and, so 24 and 25. Just adds up just All right, right. Let me stop and reset my, uh, okay. So, uh, his wife is pretty great. Well, I don't know. I her. don't know if she's philanthropic. She might be. Might be. You want to lead us back in after the break? Sure. Okay. So uh, we left off uh, talking about funding. Um, we talked about the staff. We'll, we'll start with the current programs. Is we'll talk about man cure. Yep. Spell man. You need to talk I about that. Cure. Okay. About how. <laughs> our special guest, Mindy Fetterman. And before we took our break, you were talking to us about the mission of the Inner Truth Project and getting ready to tell us about some of your special projects. So yes. what are those? Okay, I'm going to tell you, but I just I just had a, a realization. Is it paradox or paradox? Well, there uh, was a pair of docs. There was a pair of docs. So we had to become the pair of docs. Yeah, isn't that so like it's funny. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. Okay, got it. I like all it. of our all of our shows are, are, are pretty funny. <laughs> I understand. All right. Well, now I'm going to tell you the truth. Other. These paradox. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, what was your question? Your project. The projects. Okay, so which are kind of punny in and of themselves. They are. They are. Okay. They are kind of punny. So one of the things that uh, I, and I think you know we. We said this earlier is that when we first say something about rape or sexual abuse and often when i give presentations i'll share a story and people you know i'll ask them to close their eyes and i'll say what do you see and they'll share that they see a girl or they see a woman and what i'm usually sharing is a survivor story from one of our male clients so one of the things that's so important to me is for the community to understand that not only do we have many, many men who have been victimized either as children or as adult men, but we also love men. So I think that there has been a little bit of a backlash with the Me Too movement that um, people think all men are bad and that women need to stop having relationships and friendships with men. And, and nobody really knows this, this, this new kind of uh how to be in the same you know room or uh work with men just it's just become very gray and cloudy and the reality is men are not rapists men are great it's a small minority of men that are doing a majority of the crimes most of the men are really phenomenal so we have to empower men to be part of the conversation instead of turning them off and thinking that all of us women hate all of the men because it's couldn't be further from the truth. So there are a couple of different programs or projects that we've kind of created to try to engage more men. We have to raise phenomenal men and we have to engage the men that are in our lives now because let's be honest, those few men that are doing all the crimes, we can't stop our uh, world of violence unless we actually engage men because most of the perpetrators are male. 
So that's that's where we start. So one of the things that we created was the manicure program, and it's Man Eye Cure. Men can be the cure for stopping sexual violence. And the idea was to get as many men as we could to paint one fingernail. See the manicure, man eye cure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> take one fingernail, paint it, and then take a picture of themselves showing, you know, they're using their hands for something good as opposed to some type of violence. And then post a picture, pass it on, ask other men to do the same thing, and then create this campaign that went viral. So unfortunately we stopped doing it because there were other organizations that were doing something similar but i think we got the idea across that men needed to be part of the conversation now we're doing something different and as uh you had mentioned you met me at a breakfast correct which i don't think is true but that's okay so we're doing another breakfast in april which is sexual assault awareness month and it's only going to be for men and it's called bagels and bow ties and we are bringing in a keynote speaker named Timothy uh, Massu, who's a speaker that goes all around the country speaking to corporate entities and on college campuses. And he speaks about the culture of violence, how to get men engaged, changing the conversation, and so that we can be partners. What's been the reception for that? Because we just started. Okay. We just started. But in general, I mean, when you kind of, I can imagine that. It's probably pretty positive reception when you say we're pro-man. We can be... What's the reception? Because I asked you. Well, I think the reception for me, being a physician, and knowing Mindy as well as I do, and knowing how much I support the Inner Truth Project, the reception has been great. Not only do I support the Inner Truth Project, I know many people who have been victims of sexual abuse and violence and who go to support groups at the inner truth project and understand how important it is so for me and us promoting that on this show we're there we're 100 percent for it so tell us when will this first bagels and bow ties be and where will it be it's going to be april 1st 2020 it's going to be at the uh, ken Pruitt campus of indian river state college in st lucy west we already have all of our bagels donated by Bagel Brothers in Tradition, which I'm excited about. And of course, they're the ones that distribute bagels all around Stewart. So uh, I don't know if you've had their bagels, they're delicious. So if for no other reason, if there's men listening out there, it's a great opportunity to wear a bow tie and have a free bagel. And, you know, feel a little empowered with other men that you're taking a stand against something that is literally woven into our society. But we're not powerless. We need to to stand up to it and figure out how can we change our language? What are the things that we can identify in our behaviors and, and what actions are, are really right in front of us that we can take? Yeah, and I think that that has been one challenge of the Me Too movement is that, you know, so many things get lumped into anti-female behavior that I, I almost feel like men are like, geez, you know, I, I can mess up almost just talking to a right. group of people. Right. And so I, I imagine that this is probably received well because, I mean, most of the men that we know are interested in protecting people, not right. just women, but people. Absolutely. And that this is a way to say, you know, I'm on this side of this equation. I'm with you. I'm not, you know, I'm not a potential perpetrator. I'm with you. You're, right. You're, and, and I think what's important also to teach men because men that I talk to don't realize this, is that rape, it's not about sex. It's about power. And it's about uh, make, uh, making someone submissive to you. Uh, you. You want to expound on that for no, us? No, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, you, you actually both made phenomenal points. One, it is a human issue. It's not a political issue. It's not a men's issue, a woman's issue. This is about all of us as a community. Every single person is involved and is in some way impacted by sexual violence, number one. Number two, absolutely rape is about power and control, and it is about making somebody submissive, and it's about not respecting boundaries or making uh, somebody who may not have a voice or is vulnerable, feel like they are less than. And we need to start teaching about empowerment, using our voice. We need to 
talk about really what consent is because the, the language and the lines are very blurry. And it all starts with how we teach our young people and how we communicate as adults because they observe and see everything. Well, we wish you a lot of luck with the bow tie event. Hopefully the first of many Thank you. bow tie events. And let us know as co-hosts of this show how we can help you promote Absolutely. that. We'd you. love to do that. Tell us about some of your other projects. So one of the uh, things that we have coming up on January 3rd, Friday, January 3rd, is Take Back the Night. That's something that we've done for several years. It's not an original idea to us. It's something that's been going on uh, around the country probably for about 40 years. Take Back the Night is typically an event that is in response to some sort of violent event on a college campus, but now it has started to be more of a community event. So when we opened the Inner Truth Project, we realized that the closest college that we had was Indian River State College. And though they had a very small dorm life, they still had a lot of the same types of issues that any college would. And they didn't really have the student population to put on an event like this. So we wanted to, as a community, show the college that we as a, as a organization were some, supporting the college students to teach them they don't have to be afraid to go out at night. They can use their voice and it's okay to share their stories. That's how it started. We did it as a community event, but we ended up getting tons of the college students and then all different types of people from all over that came and it grew and it grew. Basically what it is, is a march through the streets, actually reclaiming the streets as our own, that no matter what's happened to you, you don't have to be afraid to go out, but then it ends with a speak out. And it's really kind of nerve wracking because it's not planned. There's no agenda, there's no speeches. I just get up and I say, uh, who I am and that, you know, we've rented this space for the next hour. So anybody here who wants to break their silence for the first time, this is a, a safe place to do it. And then I just hold the microphone and I wait. And every time we do it, I don't know if anyone's going to come up, but usually we have to cut the line because there's so many people. And uh, one year there were a group of um, who the, the guys with the berets. Mm -hmm. uh, not Hells Angels. No, 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 but they're a similar organization. I can't remember, but they, they had heard about our organization. They said, we want to come just patrol, make sure you don't have any issues as you're marching through the streets. And I said, well, we have the, the sheriff's office and we have two police departments, but if you feel that it's necessary, come. And so they, they came and they were all tatted up and they were huge guys and in leather and, you know, hair down the middle of their back. They were some rough looking dudes and uh, they patrolled our march and uh, we were chanting and yelling. And then at the end of the march, we came back inside and one or two people took the stage. And I see this guy in the back with his, you know, his leather vest and his leather boots and he's got his arms crossed and he just has this very stern look on his face. And all of a sudden he comes marching up to the stage and I don't know, you know, if there's something wrong, if maybe there's someone that's, you know, gonna hurt me, but he comes, towards me and gets on the stage and takes the microphone and he says we came out here tonight to protect all of you marchers but we didn't even know what this event was about but after listening to all of you come through the the march route and and share what you were marching about and after listening to these stories i feel compelled to finally break my silence he's shared how he'd been molested as a child and his wife never knew and how it had affected his whole life and he said, but look at me now. No one will mess with me today. And then he just had these tears rolling down his face. And it was quite a moment. And after that, everyone just broke out into hugs. And one after another, people started coming up to the stage. So every year, it's been like that. You never know who's going to come on up. I hear amazing stories every time I'm with you. And that <laughs> now I've got tears in my eyes on that one. So tell, tell us about the image of hope. So the image of hope is um, is really special to me. As a survivor, I can attest that firsthand, the mirror is uh, like my nemesis, or it has been. And so looking in the mirror, I've always seen shame and guilt and ugly. And it's been a lifelong process to be able to look at the mirror and see myself and like what I see. And what I've learned over the years of doing this work is that a lot of survivors feel the same way because it's not just about the shame of 
the experience that we've had, but there's a lot of somehow my body caused this or my actions created this. So looking in the mirror is very much looking at your own enemy. And what we realized was that if we started to give people the opportunity to do mirror work with therapists or through writing and change the script about what they told themselves while they looked in their mirror, it could be very powerful work. So we started doing that. Uh, one of the first things that we did was we had our survivors write down what they saw when they looked in the mirror. And then they had to read it to themselves while looking in the mirror, while we had a photographer take their picture. Then as the pictures were developed, each of us went around the room and shared what we saw in that person reading their story, looking in the mirror. I hope you're following me at this point. And then what was so fascinating was the juxtaposition of the beauty we saw in each other and the hate that we saw in ourselves. And it was the beginning of understanding that we're living a lie. And maybe we can begin to see ourselves how other people see us. So it's very, it's, it's very powerful. It's very difficult. We have a huge mirror in our center. Uh, most of our survivors call it the beast because it's something that we refer to all the time as part of our work. I imagine a lot of the feelings people go through after sexual abuse and trauma are very similar to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's phases of grief. You know, anger, uh, denial, uh, maybe acceptance, uh, bargaining with yourself. There's a lot of embarrassment and guilt there. And reading through your website, you, you mentioned this. We're going to talk about the support groups in a second. But what I found interesting and never really realized is that some people will not talk about their sexual trauma or their rape because they feel like they were aroused during the actual incident. But that's a physiologic response and not necessarily an emotional response. And that's a normal reaction, not a bad reaction. It doesn't make you a bad person. Can you address that but a little bit But people don't know that unless they begin to talk about it. So that is one of the really big issues that we talk about all the time, especially with men, male survivors who actually have an orgasm during the um, violent attack. Your body's going to respond the way your body's going to respond. That doesn't mean that you asked for it, that you initiated it, that you enjoyed it. But it's hard to separate what your body does and what your brain tells you. And that goes back to what I was saying before, is that a lot of, uh, of survivors, myself included, we look at our body in some way as the enemy. And that's why we separate from our body. That's also why a lot of survivors turn to alcohol and drugs and self-injury and eating disorders and all kinds of processing disorders, because it's a way to numb the body, which we think is somehow our perpetrator ourselves because we were somehow involved in the, the situation. Medically, Leanne and I would call that disassociation. Yes. So there's a lot of disassociation there. Yeah, and I think they, you know, Oprah talks about that with her experience too. It's like the younger you are, the more confusing all that is because this may have even been the first sexual experience they ever had and it can affect them lifelong because they don't know, they don't even know what they're a normal body, correct? If you want to say that? Well, that's, that's something that I've often shared um, in longer conversations with people. Is I, I grew up in in a physically abusive home, so my mom um, physically beat me almost every day. And so when I was beginning to be molested by her boyfriend, it was the first time that I had any physical interaction with an adult that didn't hurt and felt good. So I didn't know that it was wrong. I didn't know that it was inappropriate. I knew that I was getting positive attention, that I was being told nice things about myself and that my body felt good. So as I got older and I started to have the, the guilt and shame because I was told that it was bad, what happened was wrong. I thought that that was the only way I could get love, that that was the only time that I was good. And somehow it was all connected to how my behavior was going to develop over time. So not only does trauma affect the way our brain develops and also change, you know, again, 
I'm not going to try to say the words I can't pronounce, but all the things that happen in our body. But it changes also how we interact in our relationships because those things are 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 sealed in our, our memory and in our personality so early on based on, you know, the feelings that we have in our body. And we don't know that they're wrong. So I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the foundation of what you do is what I want to talk about next. And that's the individual support groups, because that's where the healing process actually occurs. I mean, we can talk about all the events and all the speeches, but until you get in there and actually work on yourself to try to heal yourself after a traumatic event like this, it, it's very difficult to move forward. So let's talk a little bit about the individual support groups. Where do they meet? So the, the support groups are uh, primarily at our center in St. Lucie West, but then we do have them in Martin County, Okeechobee, and Indian River. And other than um, our, our team, which is led by a licensed clinical social worker, and then also um, our parents group, which is led by a therapist, all of our groups are peer-led. And why that is so important is uh, a lot of people have been to therapy or are very intimidated by the hierarchy of being with a therapist. But when you're with a peer, nobody is better than anybody else. You're all on the same page supporting each other. And it's the first time you can walk into a situation and understand everybody in this room understands me. Our details may be different. Our stories may be completely different. But the shame, the guilt, the secrecy, the pain, the coping, not coping, it's all the same. So I always say that the secret sauce is really in the support groups. And what I have seen over the years is, uh, it is it's amazing. It's so much bigger than me because all of these survivors, they support each other. They, they have their own little groups on the side where they get together and they do phone calls together. And, you know, so many people who have experienced sexual trauma, it's not just one little silo of their life. It affects their finances and education and self-work that just, you know, is in so many different areas. So when they're in a support group, they help each other in all of these different areas too. Like I need a ride. I need a babysitter. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I can go back to college. Yes, you can. All of this support is it's bigger than what you would get just one-on-one -on -one with a therapist. It, and that's not to say that a lot of these people should not also be working with a therapist. And a lot of our survivors do in conjunction with the group. So are these services free? Absolutely. All of our support groups are free. The parent groups, uh, the partner groups are free. Uh, the only thing that we charge for is our individual services, and that's based on the therapist that we work with and on a sliding scale, but we'll never turn anybody away. And as far as our groups, we have our, our men's group, our women's group. We also have um, a group for the LGBTQ plus community because they have the highest rates of sexual violence than any other um, individualized group of people. We also have a military sexual trauma group because as we know, unfortunately, there's lots and lots of sexual violence in the military, but they speak their own language. So they have their own group as well. Self-defense. I would imagine people ask you all the time, do you offer any, any forms of self-defense or do you refer for self-defense training? So this can never happen to me again. Right. So I'm so glad that you asked that because uh, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So we do at our center, one of our board members is from the sheriff's office. So she provides RAD classes and RAD is rape aggression defense classes. And they're very informative. It's very good to always be um, educated about how you can protect your body. However, that being said, I always tell people, and I especially love going to college campuses and doing this presentation. I always ask the women, how many of you have been told you have to walk to your car with your keys or you have to park under the, the light or walk with a buddy? But none of the men know what I'm talking about because we do all of these things that are still in the whole vein of victim blaming because it's about what we need to do to keep ourselves safe. But if we don't do those things and God forbid something happens, then it's our fault. Why were you out by yourself at night? Why were you jogging down that path? Why didn't you have your keys in your hand? So we need to not be so focused on all the time how we're supposed to be defending ourselves, but how do we teach people not to rape? 
So I think it's important to have the self-defense classes, but it's also really more important that we have the conversation about how do we change people's behavior in society? They need to go hand in hand because otherwise it's always our fault and our responsibility. And it's not our responsibility that we do or do not get raped. So I would imagine people call you and say, is this for me? I'm confused. I don't really want to sit through a long meeting. I, I'm not ready to discuss what happened yet. How do you ease people into the program that are on the cusp? We get a lot of phone calls. I, I particularly speak to a lot of people who say, I don't know if it's right for me because my story is probably not as bad. Not or, as bad. I've heard that so many times. Right? Right. And so I always tell people your worst is your worst. And it doesn't matter if it was by a stranger, a family member, if you have five different situations, that is your story and you are worthy, whatever it is. Do not compare. And we have an opening that we read at every group. And one of the main tenets of our, of our group rules is do not compare your story to anybody else's. Your trauma is your trauma. I also have people who call and say, I don't think anyone's going to understand. It's so outlandish. No one's going to believe me. The first thing I always say is we believe you no matter what, because unless we start there, everything else is irrelevant. Um, you know, we've had people that have been subjected to being in cults and uh, lots of gang rape and, you know, crazy stories that people wouldn't believe. So I try to let everyone know wherever you're coming from, whatever your situation is, it's okay. The other thing is we typically talking about this in the community get responses that, oh, that sounds so horrible. It sounds so depressing. I don't know if I want to go there. Our center is about celebration. It's mostly laughing and eating and inappropriate jokes. And, uh, you know, these are people that are coming together because they want to support and heal. It's not about sitting there licking our wounds. So if you feel that you have been abused, if you feel that you need help, or if you would just like to learn more about the Inner Truth Project, you can find out more by calling 772-200-4599. You have been an amazing guest. We cannot wait to have you back. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank wow, you. really, really great. Great Thank show. You. Thank you. I need show. another whole hour. <laughs> well, we can do that. We, did, we covered a good bit.